Well, thank you, Larry, and it's nice to be with you. My wife's down here on the front row. Stand up so people can see you're still the same wife I've always had. Many years of walking together, serving the Lord. It's been a joy. And thank you to this church that has faithfully supported us and helped us with ministry and encouraged us. And I think we get more letters from people from this church than any other church that supports us. So if you're a letter writer, thank you. That doesn't mean I want more letters, but if if you're a letter writer, thank you very much for being a part of that. Uh, Today we want to talk about what in the world is God doing. Because God's doing amazing things. Most of us hear quite a bit about Latin America, missionaries. You've done a great job of sending missionaries to Latin America. And Latin America has uh, really responded. In fact, the church is growing so fast in Latin America that we have a leadership problem. We're having to train leaders as fast as we can because the church is growing so fast. And, and they're ready for national leaders instead of gringo leaders coming down. And it's just a wonderful day. And Brazil is sending out missionaries. Brazil will send out more missionaries this year than, than Canada and Europe combined. And they send them into places that you and I would have a tough time serving because they just um, it's, it's a glorious plan that God's put together. Africa is growing five times faster. Uh, The church is growing five times faster than the population rate of Africa. Um, Africa is just an amazing place. There's lots of problems in Africa, and it's going to be the next major mission frontier, I think, because it's just uh, it's been a continent decimated by AIDS and by famine and by wars and by a lack of leadership. And there's a whole generation, 15 million orphans running around Africa. That's a whole generation that's created a problem. Uh, Europe, you understand what's going on in Europe, but what God's doing across Russia, now that the Iron Curtain has come down and the Orthodox Church has come up, what God is doing behind the scenes there is, is just spectacular. But this little rectangle I have in front of you is probably the most impossible part of the world. And so when we ask what in the world is God doing, we always look at this we call the 1040 window. 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator. It runs from Morocco to the Philippines. And it's, um, it's a small window on the map. If you put it over the face of the map, it's not a very big window. But two-thirds of the people on planet Earth live inside that window. Two-thirds. And only 8% of the missionaries are inside that window. So you have to ask yourself, how in the world is God going to reach those people? Well, God just says, let me show you what I can do through my people. And your faithful missionaries who serve there, and we met some that are here, and uh, so you can talk to them about what they're doing in that part of the world. In fact, when you go out to the... Uh Uh-oh. Churches are really fussy about what they call that room out there. I don't want to make any mistakes. It could be a lobby. No, it could be a vestibule. No. could be a foyer. No. Uh, Welcome center. Perfect. When you go out to the Welcome Center, you're going to see 
tables around there. Now, don't just blow past those tables and say, oh, yeah, I know what's on them. Or don't think that they're manned by salesmen who are going to buttonhole you and grab you and pull you into the deal. Um, realize that they're manned by people who have seen God do amazing things. So I want you to ask a simple question to those people. Just walk up to them after this service or tonight and say, what have you seen God do? In fact, do it kind of aggressively. You know, like you're angry. What have you seen God do? You know, ask them and let them tell you about what they've seen God do. Because God has a plan for mankind. And that is, he's going to redeem them. He doesn't. He's not willing that any should perish. And so God's on a move through this part of the world. With only 8% of missionaries, he's working through nationals. In China, China is going to send out 10,000 missionaries this year. It will, again, for the third year running, be the biggest sending country in the world. How does God do that in a communist country? Only God can do that. And he's working amazing things in the lives of of the Chinese and Iran, the church of, Ch of, of Iran is run almost totally by Chinese. Their church will meet at one o'clock in the morning and Chinese will be the teachers and the leaders of that church. God's using them in a powerful way. Um, the yellow is communism. The orange is Buddhist. The green is Hindu. The blue is Islam. All religions started inside this rectangle, and they're pretty anti-Christian at this point. So they don't want us in there, but they can't deny what they see God do. This part of the world has the lowest life expectancy, the lowest infant mortality, the lowest rate of literacy. The poorest of the poor live inside this window. And God is still moving across the face of this, this group. And you will find thousands of missionaries, Indian missionaries in India, doing the ministry of teaching people about Jesus in their own language. Across the Islam country, that whole country is covered by satellite. And they're listening to satellite. You'll see satellite dishes on buildings. You'll see dozens of satellite dishes on a building. And people are listening to the gospel via satellite. Our biggest problem is follow-up because it's really hard to get in there and talk to people. But God has raised up an army inside the country so that this rectangle right now in history is the fastest growing part of the world for Christianity. It's growing faster than any place else. That's what God's doing in the world, folks. And he's doing it through your old-time missionaries that have been over there working and faithfully serving, and through their converts, the new kind of missionary who has the culture and the language. God is doing amazing things. And you say, well, tell us about some of those miracles. Let me just tell you that God's doing it the same way he's always done it. In your Bible, there are 34 stories of Jesus doing a, a hands-on miracle. But only one of those stories is repeated by all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll read about it in Matthew chapter 14, in Mark chapter 6, in Luke chapter 9, in John chapter 6. It's a story of what Jesus did after John the Baptist was murdered. 
And Matthew tells us that Jesus was looking for a place where there was some solitude. He wanted to go someplace where he could just be alone. Jesus could never be alone. But he wanted to find that place. So he left Capernaum and went up north along the sea. He, he was in a boat. And he went up along the sea with the disciples to find a place of solitude. Mark tells us that the people in the communities around saw him going, so they started running up the side of the shore to follow him, to be where he was going to be. So much for solitude, so much for a little personal time, so much for, for getting alone and getting away from it all. And Matthew says that when, when he saw those people, he had compassion on them. He didn't say, go away, come on, you guys, you're just draining me dry. He had compassion on those people. And Mark again explained it because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And then Luke came along and said, and so he welcomed them. And he began to tell them about the kingdom of God. One of the truths about Jesus is that he really cares for people. And he, he really cares for you. You don't ever have to say, God, where are you? <laughs> because he cares about what's going on in your life. And, and he's anxious to, to help you through the difficult times. And he wants us as his ambassadors to be the same. To care about one another and to care about the people on our street. And to care about the people in our family line. And to care about the people we work with and the people in our classroom. To care. Not to have an I don't care portion of the list. Not, to, not to, to ignore somebody's needs, but to care. Because we have discovered in China and India and the Muslim world that, that Christians who care, and I'll talk more about that tonight. I want to tell you a story about what's happening in Indonesia through a, a guy who saw a Christian who cared. And it changed his life and is changing the country of Indonesia, largest Islam country in the world. I want to tell you about a guy who cared in China and what's happening as a result of him. Some of you have read his book. God wants us to care. Some of you would never consider being a missionary because you don't care. You would never consider telling your friends about Christ because you don't really care. Well, Jesus cared, and he wants us to care. Now, John chapter 6 gets really specific about what goes on here. Because Jesus then looks at this crowd of people, and we know by now there's about 5,000 people that have followed him up the side of the lake and have gathered here around him. Where Jesus was was always kind of a crowd going on. And so there's about 5,000 people, and Jesus in chapter 6 uh, says to in verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He cared. He cared about the fact that they were hungry. He cared about what was going on in their life. But the rest of that verse says he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He says to us, 
as missionaries. How do you plan to reach China with the gospel? But he already has in mind what he plans to do. Well, what are you going to do about North Africa where they're just, they've just slammed the door on missions? He already has in mind what he's going to do. It's a great lesson about Jesus. He already knows. He's got it already set up. What he's going to do. The response is set up. And maybe, oh, are you ready for this? Maybe you're the response. Maybe you're the answer to the people on your street. Or maybe you're the answer to what's going on in, in India. He's already set it up. He already knows what he's going to do. Thus, I need to tell you the story of Chuck and his brown bag. Chuck was at home just that very day. He was out on his front porch messing around. Morning, he was kind of bored, didn't know what he was going to do that day. And his friends came running by. He says, where are you going? And they said, hey, we're going up the, the lake because Jesus is going up the lake. Well, that was, that was something to do. So Chuck yells into the house, hey, Mom, I'm going to run up the lake with my friends. And he takes off. But Mom has been through this before. So Mom says, Chuck, wait, I want to fix you a lunch. Chuck keeps running. So Mom does what your mom did. Charles? You probably wonder how I know this kid's name. You learn this kind of stuff in seminary. <laughs> Along with some other stuff. Charles, wait until I fix your lunch. My mother used to always say, Ronald? Boy, and when she put the middle name on it, right? Then you knew you were, it was serious. So Chuck stops, and he's waiting for Mom. Mom finally throws some things together in the brown bag and hands it to Chuck. And Chuck takes up running. They catch up with the crowd. Jesus now is moving through the crowd, and he's touching people. And people who have been blind, and they know him, are now able to see. And people who were carried there are able to walk. And, and I mean, it's, it's amazing. Chuck's wiggled up through the crowd, as any young boy would do, and he's standing right there in front. Andrew, who is from that part of the world, is kind of circulating through the crowd looking for his friends. He knows Jesus wants to feed these people, and he's saying to different people, you know where we can get some food? And he finds Chuck. Chuck says, well, I got, I got lunch. What's in your lunch? I don't know. Right? You never knew what was in your lunch. He just opened it, hoping it wasn't that mystery meat that you had left that last week. So he, he said, ah, I, don't, I don't know. And Andrew said, well, let me, let me take a look. So Andrew opens the bag and finds five loaves and two little fishes. Pretty insignificant. But he holds on to it. And he gets over to Jesus and he says to Jesus, or Philip says to Jesus, well, he's in the, he's in the process, he's the financial guy. He's in the process of doing the math. How many bites can you get out of a piece of bread? How many pieces of bread would it take to give everybody here one bite? Hmm. And he answers, Well, Lord, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. 
And Andrew says, well, that's, that's nothing, Philip. I got, I got a bag here. And it's got five small loaves and two small fishes. Now, some people say, well, that was a great statement of faith. Yeah, it was, until he got to the small fishes. And then he went, but, straight down. What is that among so many? See, we do the same thing. Jesus says, I want, you to, I want you to start a Bible study in your neighborhood and invite your neighbors over to, and just tell them this is important to you and if they'd like to hear it, you'd be happy to share with them what you're learning. And You learn here at church and you want to just take it back to them. And you're going to say, yeah, 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 I got a nice Bible and I got a house. God's provided me a nice place and, and everything. But who would want to come? But somebody might smoke and get smoke on my drapes. But they might get a petition out and move me out of the neighborhood. But I may look like a fanatic. I mean, there's always that thing up there. God gives us an opportunity with the little things that we have. And Satan tries to steal it from us with that but. Some of you are saying, yeah, I... I I've always wanted to be a missionary. I've, I've always felt like God wanted me to do something like that, but can't, can't get it done. Jesus takes this little bag, this little brat bag that Chuck brought to the big show. He takes this little bag and he says, have everybody sit down. Isn't that amazing? He's got what he needs. There's a truth here. All God needs is you and your little brown bag. Some of you don't even know what you can do. Some of you have no clue why you were created and what God wants to do through you. Maybe Chuck was just a deliverer of a brown bag. Maybe his mom was just the maker of a little lunch. That's all Jesus needed to feed 5,000 people. I don't know what Jesus needs to finish the task. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, Matthew 24, 14, shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What will it take for that last person to hear the truth? It might be on your watch. Wouldn't that be something? Share the truth with somebody and... The heavens light up and the bugle blows and it's done. So what does this mean to me? One, you need to know that God has a plan for you. You're not here by accident. I don't care what your parents said. You're not an accident. You are a creation of God by design. He has a plan for you. Some of you have gone all through your life kind of feeling like God had a plan for those people. In fact, the reason you don't want to talk to the missionaries is because they're kind of like super Christians. They, they talk about prayers being answered. You never experienced that. They talk about reading their Bible and, and, and understanding it. You don't have that. And they, they talk about seeing God do things and you've, 
you've never done that. And you kind of accepted the role of, well, I'm just going to put money in the offering and sit in church and I'm going to carry my Bible and, and I'm going to live a good life. And, and you have never really thought, is there more? And there is. God has a plan for you. I don't know what it is. But he knows. And you'll never discover it until you take that risk of handing him your brown bag because he's put in your brown bag exactly what he needs for you to fulfill your plan. You may discover you can do stuff you never dreamed you could do. We see it all the time. People come to us and say, well, I'm an engineer. That's what I do. We have lots of engineers with HCJB Global because we've got hundreds of radio stations all over the world. We've got lots of doctors because we have lots of medical clinics all over the world. But some of our engineers are running Bible studies in the local prison, and they're like the chaplain of the local prison. How'd that happen? I don't know. But they're really good. And we have doctors who have opened their houses and, and giving out food distribution to poor people. How does that relate to medicine? I don't know, but it works. And people are coming to know Christ. How do you know what you can do? It's in your brown bag. God's already loaded it. And he knows what's in it. And he's got a plan. Do you trust him? There's one more thing. Verse 12 of chapter 6 of John. He collected all the leftover bread. (laughs) This is a guy that invented that bread. He created all that bread. Why would he collect the leftover bread? He made a statement in chapter tw- uh, verse 12 that says, Let nothing be wasted. He doesn't want to waste your life. He doesn't want to waste your talents. He doesn't want to waste the gifts that he's put in you. Let me tell you about one guy that we've been able to kind of journey with as we close here this morning. He lives in West Africa. So this is, uh, let's travel to West Africa. This is the way you get there. You jump on this bus, and you probably won't get a window seat, but they will, they will help you climb up to the top of that bus. And these run along the desert there in the Sahara, and uh, you put your bag up there. You don't see a lot of really fancy suitcases there, and, and they don't have the little roller carts that they pull along behind. Um, but you hand your bag up, and then you stick your hand up, and they pull you up until you get... And they'll put you in the middle of that crowd, and then they'll laugh at you because in the middle of the crowd are all the chickens and the pigs and all the animals that they're hauling to market. So, But we're in West Africa now, so you got the feel, okay? Also in West Africa, you're going to run into a lot of poverty, a lot of poor kids, children that are really desperate. It's, it's sad. It's, it's painful. And when these kids grow up, you're going to run into some boys who are almost blank-stared faces because they're military boys who have been handed a gun and told, you can have anything you want to with that gun. You're, you're hearing a lot about it these days on Internet, uh, the, the situation in Uganda. Um, these boys are just, um, it's, it's a whole generation that's been wiped out in, in, in West Africa, and it's, it's quite sad. The girls become prostitutes. That's all they can do is sell their bodies. They'll sell their bodies for anything. They'll sell their body for an orange. They'll sell their bodies for a bottle of water. Uh, if you stop at a checkpoint, they're right there at the window of your car. Uh, the next slide has some pictures of these beautiful young ladies, uh, just well, their friends, and they're just working the 
the cars to see who wants to have some time with them, and we'll give them whatever they'll give them. And that's the generation that's growing up. And into that generation, God inserted a really angry, bitter man named Gabriel. Isn't that a great name for a bitter, angry man? But Gabriel was on a run from another country. He was on a hit list. They were going to kill him, and he was an accountant. That's what his training was, an accountant, a quiet, quiet, kind of bashful man, but an accountant. And he ends up in the middle of that world in West Africa on the run for his life. And this is the picture of when we first met him. That hat means that we put him into a program saying, Gabriel, we're going to help you learn what God has prepared for you. And uh, that's how we got in contact with him. And he was just desperate and wanted to do something. And God decided he wanted Gabriel to open a school for children. And so Gabriel, I mean, he had all kinds of, yeah, that's a good idea, God, but somebody else ought to do this. Somebody trained, somebody with education, but, but, but. But he opened that school. And now for the last 10 years, he's been running a school of about 150 kids, all refugee kids, all kids off the street, educating them, getting them saved, sending them back into their communities. And here's what Gabriel looks like today. This is a picture just recently of him smiling. Next picture. Look at this guy. That's a picture of a face that's discovered, hey, I can do anything. I can do whatever God wants me to do. And man, that's the life I want to live. And Gabriel's in the middle of a war zone today, and he's just at peace with God. And that's what you want. Let's pray together. Father, you've given us all exactly what we need to serve you and to minister and to win our friends and our family and our neighbors and our classmates to Jesus. You, you've given it to us. It's in our little brown bag. We've been hauling that around all of our life. Some of us have never looked in it. Some of us are afraid of it because it means maybe serving you in less comfortable situations. But, Father, I want to thank you that you would trust us and that you love us enough to have a purpose for us, that we're not here by accident and we're not just blindly finding our way through life, but that you have a purpose. But we're, not, we're never going to discover it until we come to you and say, here I am, Lord, without excuse, no more but in our lives. You tell me to do it, I will do it. You tell me to go, I'll go. You tell me to speak, I'll speak. God's telling me there's somebody here right now that wants to say that to God. Scared to death. But they want to say it to God. Larry said earlier there's, they're praying for four people in this service that would say, God, I'm available. What do you want to do with my life? Maybe I don't have a whole lot left, but what's left is yours. Maybe you've said this before and taken it back and refused to obey. I don't know what God has for you. But I'd like to pray for you as we close.